hopefully, um, again, we've established some clear principles of the Spirit, surveyed the Spirit through the Scriptures, looked at the gifts, the purpose of the gifts, and, you know, established some bounds around what a culture of the Spirit and the spiritual gifts should look like over and against some misconceptions and some errors that I believe exist in some of evangelicalism today. Now, having corrected some of those misconceptions, let's move into defining some terms and specific gifts as we really unpack the practical layer of our practices. Now, realistically, do we really need to discuss hospitality, guidance, administration, service? Are those contentious? Are they controversial? You know, no, what we need to talk about are those gifts that are considered conventionally supernatural. And we know that that's a misnomer because we've already established if the spirit is at work in the gifts and the abilities, no matter what they are, no matter how mundane they may seem to us, it's supernatural. It is God at work in us to build each other up and to expand God's witness in the world. But realistically, we need to talk about tongues. We need to talk about healing, miracles, prophecy. Those are the ones that are the most contentious and sometimes most obscured. Tongues we already brought up. We already touched on for a few moments. It's really two different things. It's both expressed in the ability to speak or be heard in languages that are not native to you, that you don't typically have the ability to speak in. That's what happened in Acts chapter 2. The tongues of fire descended on those early apostles, and they're praising God, speaking, and they looked like they were drunk to some people, but yet all these other people from these foreign areas are hearing the praises of God in their native tongues. So God gave this ability to be able to speak to them across these cultural barriers. So that was one expression of the gift of tongues. And of course, that's an amazing expression of God empowering them to be his witnesses in the world. He said, you're gonna go out to the ends of the earth. And we saw that from the very beginning, the ends of the earth were hearing the gospel in Acts 2. Now the other form of tongues appears to be these heavenly languages, this ecstatic speech, which Paul references in the Corinthian church, which also appear in the book of Acts. It seems that it's a confirming sign that a group of people has received the Holy Spirit First, the Jews, and then you see the Gentiles in Cornelius's house receiving the Holy Spirit. And the evidence of that for those two population groups through the book of Acts is at first, they're speaking in this ecstatic speech. Now, Paul mentions it as reserved for personal edification in 1 Corinthians. When it involves mutual edification, it's accompanied with interpretation. As I said before, it is not uncontrollable, according to Paul. As we discussed, someone might have to exercise self-control with a gift that needs to be reserved for another setting. And Paul says they have the ability to do so. So the question maybe you're thinking is ultimately, should you speak in tongues? Well, I would pray about the gift and put no value on whether or not you receive it, but feel free to practice it according to the biblical standards for your edification and for that of others, if there is an interpretation. For we are told in the scriptures, it's a clear boundary, we are not to forbid the speaking in tongues. First Corinthians chapter 14. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Paul was very generous as he's pastoring the community. He's trying to guide them away from these extremes, which are gonna be unhelpful, but he's not just trying to shut them down completely. He realizes this is something that has been important in their own devotional practice. 
If it's accompanied with interpretation, it can be beneficial for the whole. So I'm not telling you guys you can't do this, and I'm telling you I do it more than all of you in my own private life. But let's just put some healthy boundaries on this so that everyone is built up. We're going to look at it the exact same way. All right, let's get into the next big one, prophecy. I got a lot to say here. Because to understand prophecy, you have to look at the whole of the scriptures. Because we have prophets before the New Testament times. Moses was considered not just a leader of God's people, not just a deliverer of God's people, but also as a prophet because he revealed the laws of God. He shared what God shared with him as he led the people of Israel. Now, the prophets that would follow Moses re-revealed the law in the events and circumstances that the people of God were facing at different times in history. In the circumstances that they were facing, he was you know, whatever prophet it would be, taking what God had already said and applying it to those moments then. Moses had already told the people that following God will bring life. Abandoning God is going to bring death. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15. After he laid out the law, he said, see, I said before you today, life and prosperity, death and destruction. You follow this covenant, you got life and prosperity. You go against God, there's going to be death and destruction. The prophets just played that out. They said, Let's compare our lives, guys. Let's compare the nation. We're not following God. Death is going to follow. If we change our ways and we pursue God's ways, life and prosperity is going to follow. So, guys, they didn't go. The prophets didn't go beyond the principles and standards of the scriptures already revealed. They spoke in the authority already established with God's voice into the present dynamic circumstances. They were grounded in the truth revealed in the past, submitted to God in the present to project into the future the trajectory of the people and the nation. The role of the prophet was far more oftentimes about forthtelling than it was about foretelling. That is speaking forth truth rather than projecting these revelations into the future, although at times that was involved in prophecy. The Hebrew word for a prophet meant literally to declare, to announce. They are one who declares. They are one who announces. The compound word in the Greek that makes up the word prophecy means to make clear, to assert as a priority. So the prophets were revealers and enforcers of God's truth who carried the message and the weight, the priority of God's thoughts to his people at different times in history. Think of Jeremiah's call as a prophet by God encapsulated in Jeremiah chapter 1, 9 to 10. It says, then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Wow. God gave him words. But it wasn't just words about the future. It was words to speak truth that would call out errors, refute false teachings, condemn corrupt leaders, encourage righteousness, and rebuild the people of God. And indeed, there is an overlap with some of the more conventional gifts of the Spirit, such as preaching and teaching and pastoring. Consider 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. There were false prophets among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. Do you see the transition? He first says, there were false prophets, just as there will be false teachers among you. So there's a transition here from talking about prophecy to all of a sudden teaching. That means they're not, 
two completely distinct things, that there are overlapping realities here. A prophet will teach, and a teacher at times will prophesy. They are interchangeable to a degree. Now, it's common today when we talk about the practice of prophecy to find parachurch organizations, churches, and individual teachers and trainings that guarantee you all will prophesy after being equipped through their methods and processes. I think this breeds a lot of confusion in our spiritual practices, in the gifts. We already established, right, in our principles of the Spirit that not all will have the gift of prophecy. Not all will have the same gifts. Paul says, do all prophesy? The implied answer is no, we all have different gifts. So how can we all be taught to prophesy? Maybe what people are calling prophecy in those settings is not actually prophecy, but something else entirely. And how do you manage sort of unleashing this broad capacity for everyone to speak with the voice of God into other people's lives? How do you manage that? When you pull everyone together, every single Christian together, and you say, okay, now everyone's going to have the ability to prophesy. This is a common teaching today in some circles. How do you manage that? Now you just unleashed everyone with the voice and authority of God to speak into everybody else's lives. Well, oftentimes in these trainings, there's these sort of false parameters placed on prophecy as a safeguard. They'll say, well, when we prophesy, it has to be positive. It has to be encouraging. That's supposed to ensure that if someone speaks out of turn in the place of God, at least it isn't going to be harmful, right? Well, that's problematic, That's problematic thinking in two ways. First, false prophecy, positive prophecy, can harm just as much as false negative prophecy. False positive prophecy can harm just as much as false negative prophecy. Look at Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 16. God speaks to Jeremiah, do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says, you'll have peace. And to all who follow the stubbornness of their hearts, they say, no harm is going to come to you. But which of them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see or to hear his word? Who has listened and heard his word? So it's positive prophecy. It's false positive prophecy. That's harmful. And two, negative prophecy can very much be valid, okay? It's like, we can't just be speaking positive all the time when there is a place for negative prophecy, when we need to rebuke someone for the purpose of their restoration and growth. Think of Jesus prophesying Peter's denials. Well, that was kind of a wet blanket. Well, that's kind of sad, You know, think of the role of the prophets in correcting the harm that God's people were doing at all these different times, that they were saying everything's going to be great. Well, then nothing would have changed. There wouldn't be that remnant of people that are pursuing righteousness and repenting. If I go to someone and say, hey, this path of divorcing your wife and abandoning your kids, it's going to bring you to ruin. That's negative, but it's also correct, (laughs) If I said to that same person, some fortune cookie style, this week you're going to meet a new interesting person. Well, that's exactly what they want to hear, right? If they're having conflict with their spouse, it was a positive prophecy, right? But it's a false positive prophecy that may in fact be justifying their sin. So these are false parameters to prophecy. 
just saying, oh, well, you can speak anything as long as it's positive. And it encourages what we see in Jeremiah chapter 23, a time when each one's word becomes their own message. So God says, you distort the words of the living God, the Lord Almighty, our God. When we say everyone's going to prophesy all the time and whatever message that comes into your mind, if it's positive, speak it because it's the voice of God. Well, then everyone's own mind and message takes the place of the message of God. It becomes distorted. So how do we judge what's false prophecy and who are false prophets? When we've got all these teachings that are propagating that all these people are going to be prophesying, well, false prophets were identified as false based on a few common sense criteria in the Old Testament as well as the New. Either they weren't forthtelling what was consistent with God's revealed truth. So they were going beyond what was written. It wasn't consistent with what everything else that was revealed by God. And or their foretelling predictions of the future, they didn't come to pass. Seems pretty obvious, right? That you can tell a false prophet when they foretell something about the future and it doesn't happen. But for some reason in America, it doesn't matter how many times these false prophets with these massive platforms keep foretelling events that don't happen and they just tell a new one and everyone is just distracted by the new one and they keep their following or they get a new following and people go right on with the same lies. It's sad, okay? If somebody is telling you something that's going to happen in the future, either for your life or just in general for the nation, and it doesn't come to pass and they don't repent and say, that was me and I misjudged that, well, then do not listen to that person. They are not sitting in the council of God. Well, what about the gray area teachings? Okay, it kind of sounds like it's consistent with what God's revealed, and there's these predictions that have yet to play out. What then? How do we judge if someone's false as a prophet, if the prophecy's false? Well, Jesus said, you're going to know false prophets by their fruit, their character. Remember, that's, that's a genuine evidence of someone's spirit-filledness is going to be their union with Christ. It's going to be demonstrated in who they are as an individual. So Jesus says, use that as your criteria of judging whether or not you want to listen to this person. He says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, watch out for false prophets. They're out there. And they don't look like they're out there. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. They want something from you. That's why they're misrepresenting God's words. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Similar thought is given by Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3. It's kind of extended out. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. So it's got to conform to Christ. If someone's kind of taking something Jesus said and they're like, but here's a more interesting way to think about it. It's not really based in what Jesus is saying. It's just this creative take on it. That is not godly teaching. They don't understand anything. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who've been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. So don't just look at their character. Look at the wake of their ministry. Look at what happened to the people that associate with them. 
and it's causing all this division and all these people's lives are in shambles. Oh, and by the way, they're getting really rich. A lot of times, false prophets in America, it involves a lot of money. They're using this platform of godliness and speaking with the voice of God to extort others. So it's really sad how many false prophets are succeeding in our culture. Those who are not grounded in the truth, they go beyond what's written and they repeatedly are wrong about the future. They set wretched examples for Christ and they are so money hungry, these abusers of God's people. Don't fall prey to these wolves in sheep's clothing. So having said all that, what do we do of all this prophetic prayer that is circulating? Is it wrong? I don't think that there is anything wrong to speak by the Spirit in prayer with words that conform to Christ. I don't think, let me say that again, I don't think there's anything wrong to speak into someone else's life by the Spirit words of encouragement that conform to Christ. I don't call that prophecy, though. I call that prayer. And in that prayer may be prophecy, There may be a word of knowledge. There may be a unique and personal encouragement that you give to somebody. And I believe that may come in the form of literal words, or it may come in the form of visions or pictures. Again, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. The scriptures testified that we would have visions. We dream dreams. And think about the way that some people think. Some of you don't think like analytically with words. Some of you think in pictures. You know, you just think different. You've been shaped by God in a different way. So God is going to speak and communicate through you, through the tools and the means and the personality of you. And that means if you're more analytical, it's going to come out a little bit more analytical. It's still going to conform to Christ. If you're more artistic, if you think in pictures, guess what? You may pray in pictures for someone else. You may have visions for someone else. It's great if it conforms to Christ. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with asking for the Spirit to guide your words as you pray for somebody else. You should do that. There's nothing wrong with speaking appropriate words of encouragement. You should do that and do that more. But to label it as prophecy is to confuse the gift. And I think it's to place undue pressure on someone's, at times, personal message And it's possible that it ends up doing unintentional and real spiritual harm and ultimately erodes the place of true prophecy in the church. Okay, so again, I'm not thinking that all these folks that are praying for each other with encouraging words that conform to Christ, they're calling it prophecy, that they are so wrong and they've done such damage and we've totally gone astray. I'm just trying to clear up terms. I'm just saying that is not, broadly speaking, what the role of a prophet is or what the gift of prophecy actually looks like in practice. Not every gathering, guys, requires ultimate revelation all the time. (laughs) It's okay to pray like Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Listen to this prayer. I love this prayer to the Ephesian church. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us 
who believe. It's a beautifully worded prayer. But to some, they would say, well, that's not really a spirit-filled prayer. It's less than a spirit-filled prayer because it didn't come in a certain format. God says this. God says that. You will, by the authority of God, feel this. I see this happening for you in the future. What did Paul do? He simply asked God for them to receive knowledge, wisdom, to know God better, to have their eyes opened, to see their hope, their future, and the empowerment that comes through belief. I've been in gatherings where if you prayed like Paul prayed, like that, it wouldn't be spirit-filled because it didn't come out a certain way. What a false distinction. This is the words of the Spirit. This is the word of God. This is the Spirit-filled Apostle Paul. These are representative, these words, of the way that one of the chief authors of our scriptures prayed. This is the way that he prayed. You know, to teach a mode of prayer that is more spiritual than the way, than the example of our apostles in the scriptures, of Jesus. Jesus didn't teach, they asked, they said, teach us to pray. And there are so many models that are given today that this is the way, this is the enlightened way to pray. And it's not anything that Jesus said. If there was a more enlightened way to pray, for sure Jesus would have shared it with us. He wants us to know the enlightened way to pray. But the way that Jesus taught us to pray is less declarative and it's more submissive in tone. So how can you say that one way is more spiritual than another if it doesn't conform to the example of the apostles or to Jesus? So I've addressed tongues and prophecy to a certain extent. I'm sure there's more questions. What of miracles and healing with the little time I have left? Guys, I want you to know I'm not a cessationist. I have no reason to believe from what I see in the scriptures to think that these gifts, sign gifts that some would call them, have ceased. They're all sign gifts. (laughs) They all are about building up the body of Christ, and they're all about promoting his witness in the world, so they're all a sign of God's work among his people and who God is. So I don't think there's any biblical reason to believe that the gift of healing or miracles is gone. But anytime we pray for someone who's sick, and we do, we pray for anyone who's sick, we pray every time for healing. We'll have the elders come in, just as it says in James, and we'll anoint the sick to pray for their healing. But anytime it doesn't, I'm reminded that every Christian who lived, even those that have been healed at certain times, they've all died. Okay, so (laughs) there's no Christian that's being perpetually healed through all times so that they never die. Some Christians, faithful Christians, spirit-filled Christians have died at a ripe old age, and others have tragically died at less than a ripe old age. You know, so we're praying for healing and we're believing that God has the power to heal. And in every case, in every circumstance, we're seeking his wisdom over the life of individuals. But we're also not insulated from the world. Okay, we're not isolated from suffering, as I told you guys earlier. The beautiful thing is we have God's presence in the world, even as we suffer in the midst of it. And we have victory over it in the kingdom to come. So we ought to expect signs of the kingdom, both in the healing of our brothers and sisters by God's grace, and as we pray evangelistically for those who don't know God, I invite you to do that, because I think that's one of the primary times that we're going to see the miraculous happen, is when you've got a neighbor, and they're dealing with some infirmity, and you go out on a limb, and you say, can I pray for that? 
Can I pray for healing for you? A lot of times people say yes, sometimes because they don't know what else to say. (laughs) But just pray in faith. Lord, I ask that through a gift of healing right now, that you would restore this person's body and that you would reveal your power, that you are Lord over everything. Simple prayer like that. You're going out on a limb. That's in faith. And you leave it in God's hands. Like, if it doesn't happen, it's not your fault. You know, that's what God wants to do, right? That's the beauty of living empowered by the Spirit of God. Like, okay, I'm just being obedient, and we're going to see what God does. And a lot of times, that was the context where these miracles happened, is again, to promote this witness to who God is. So I'm telling you, go for it. Pray evangelistically for those who don't know God to see his power demonstrated. And yet we don't limit this gift of healing as only being these spectacular feats and miracles where somebody who's wheelchair bound is suddenly going to walk out of their paralysis. Sure, that may happen. But just as an administrator, you know, works with an Excel spreadsheet and God is present in that. So I think this gift of healing can be expressed through someone who's especially gifted as a doctor, a medical professional who has insight into helping someone heal or a therapist who has particular insight and helping someone heal emotionally to bring them wholeness in Christ. There's all kinds of different expressions of this healing. And ultimately, we've got to realize that God is with us in our sickness as well as in our health, for he empowers us through all things and conforms us to Christ even in the midst of our suffering. So let me just expand that, okay? Yes, we're praying for healing for one another. We're praying for healing as we witness in this world. Let's not reduce down what healing is. There's certain expressions and manifestations of healing that can come through all kinds of different disciplines in the church. I met with a very gifted therapist for a year and a half, and I believe they were gifted by God to bring healing to me. I needed them. I wasn't going to get it on my own. I needed to rely on another part of the body who was using their gifts for the betterment of the body of Christ. But also when there isn't healing, we understand that we're not insulated from the world and that our ultimate victory is in heaven. The spirit is with us through all things. So again, I've addressed tongues, prophecy, the miraculous, healings, what we can expect in our culture, what I'm calling forth. What does this mean for us as a church as we walk away from everything that we've discussed? It means that some of you are going to go back. You're going to look at it at 50%. You're going to try to really consider all the things that have been said tonight in this shotgun fire hose setting. But as I think about tonight, I really have this hope and this dream that we just become increasingly filled with the Spirit for ourselves and able to identify the various graces God has given us for the benefit of others. You know that there would be this sense that you understand God's personal presence for yourself and that you become more aware of God's personal presence, bringing you into union with your Lord. That you'd expect more from that relationship because the Spirit is speaking and guiding you and empowering you. And that you would understand that you are gifted. Maybe you don't walk away from this night thinking exactly these are the graces God has given me, but God has gifted every single one of you And I could only hope that every one of you would lean into that and say, I don't know what it is, and I don't have a format through which it's being expressed, but I'm not going to give up until I do know more of what it is, and I have an environment where it's expressed. Because if everyone is using the gifts and graces that God has given them in this body, we're all going to benefit for it. 
And if only a few gifts are expressed, we're all going to be hindered because of it. So you all have a place, and I could only hope that we just rely on that and lean on that all the more. I could only hope that we'd rely on God's power to be shaped in our thinking, feeling, our dispositions, our desires, and attitudes, not toward emotionalism and just this like unchecked zeal, but to the sort of heart and mind and attitudes that God wants to bring us all into. It's going to look like different things in different settings, but our awareness should be high that God is at work in all who believe, filling all who believe, equipping all who believe in him. I want you to desire to be utilized by God, to have a strong awareness of God, and more than anything, to understand the unity and equality afforded us because God fills us despite our differences. I hope that I've given grace. I hope that I've given an allowance for those who disagree with me. I think there's things in the scriptures that set some clear bounds for us. I've set those clear bounds, but I haven't tried to throw anyone under the bus because if they believe in Jesus, they're spirit-filled. You can disagree with me and want to take me to task on a certain point. I'm okay with that because we have the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace across cultures, traditions, and understandings, practices, and preferences. It's the one spirit of God which fills us all for the purpose of our mutual growth and to empower us for God's work in this world. So that's my content that I wanted to share with you on spiritual gifts. A comprehensive, I believe, not ending point, but starting place for us as a church community. It's later. Again, I want to give you permission to exit at this point. But I'm curious if anyone wants to share anything or if anyone has any questions related to the discussion we just had. Go ahead and use some discernment if you think that that's better suited for after the fact. If you really want to take me to task, this may not be the time. But uh, I'm okay with that too. We can have an engaging discussion back and forth. Um, But yeah, if there's clarifying questions about our culture, what this means for us, uh, comments that you have, something that you felt was important to you, Or if you're like, please don't say anything because we all want permission to leave respectably at the same time, then you'll know when everyone looks at you very harshly when you speak up. I've been in those gatherings before. I know what that feels like. So yeah, anyone have anything they want to share? Yeah, Jeff. Can I have you talking to the microphone? Because I think that'll be better for the live stream. I'd just say... uh, the part about the spiritual gifts are given for the maturing of the body, for building us up together as a group. So I would encourage it because it's happened to me uh, where people, maybe you don't see your gift or see God's strength in yourself, but people come to you and say, you know, I really see this in you. So you might know somebody that uh, is in that boat, that, boy, they really... God has really touched their life in that way to go and tell them about it and encourage them to, to walk and go, go for it. I think that's such a great word, Jeff. I mean, who doesn't want someone to come up to them and say, I see God doing this through you? We all want to hear someone say that to us. And it's beautiful. It is for the maturing of the body. Jeff raises his hand. I think about Jeff, and Jeff has... Many, many gifts that God has given him, gifts of administration and guidance, gift of service, 
Now, here's what's so beautiful about the gifts of the Spirit is that isn't just exclusively for Jeff to be a servant. Because Jesus broadly said, this is what it means to be great in the kingdom of God, is to be a servant. So I actually want you all to be servants. But he specifically gifted certain individuals to be enabled to serve with greater ease, with greater passion, in a predominant way amongst God's people, to set an example for us to help us to grow in it. And so that's the beautiful thing about some of the things that you guys are gifted with. Hospitality, it just flows through you. Now, we're all called to be hospitable, but it takes a lot more work for some of us. And it's a lot more draining as we're being conformed to the example of Christ. But for you, it's just this gift. It's just this grace. It flows through you. And that's the example for the rest of us to grow into. So grateful for Jeff, for Elaine, grateful for all of you in the ways that you exemplify the gifts. Let's do exactly what Jeff said and speak that life into one another. Great word. Let's go back here and feel free to just come up because you're going to need to grab the microphone. I'll just uh, piggyback off of what Jeff said. Um, I don't know. I've thought about this, but I don't know the answer. So maybe you could speak into it. Um, so my personal experience with uh, spiritual gifts is um, I didn't know anything about them and I had no clue what mine were. And uh, it's something I had like prayed into and wanted to discover, but it wasn't until um, I went and did my first act of serving um, with the church body. And then it was a, an extended serving opportunity several weeks, you know, mission trip. And then that's when the body is what actually um, came and identified the gifts for me and then encouraged me to pray into it. So um, my personal, I have a hunch and I feel like um, I think it's impossible for one to know their gifts on their own. And you were talking about how like we're a body and we all have different functions. So I actually think it's um, part of the body's job to identify in others what their gifts are. Because I think um, as individuals, if we tr like, I think it's impossible to do it by ourselves because we're self-delusional. So we think, a lot of times we think higher than ourselves or lower than ourselves. Um, we're self-defeating or, you know, we're self-obsessive. And so... Um, I, I, I don't know. I'm curious to what you think. Like, I think others need to say like, Hey, maybe this is your gift. You should maybe pray about it. That's what happened with me. I don't know if that's happened with other people. Um, but yeah, it wasn't until somebody spoke it into me that I began to pray into it and, and was able to identify it. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. I think that's a key part of our discerning process is the words of mature believers around us, either to correct us hey, you're going around prophesying into people's lives and that's not cool. You're not in the place to be doing that. <laughs> you know? So it could be knocking someone down a few notches or it could be saying, hey, you got to quit having this self-doubt because you got to rely on something God is doing in you. So 100% relying on the voices of others. One beautiful thing about your story though is that you placed yourself in the context to have others speak into you and to be utilized by God. 
I think a lot of times for us, we're thinking, I don't feel God. I don't sense God's presence. Are you in any scenario in your life where you require God's presence? God to be at work. Are you doing anything that's of the kingdom? You know, if you're just living your own life, doing your own thing, God's like, all right, you got it. You know, you grieve the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit just sort of lets you go, you know? Uh, But you take that opportunity to pray for a neighbor. You go on a missions trip and you get out of your comfort zone when it's time to share a testimony and you go to share a testimony. Is it any surprise that you walk away with this awareness of the Holy Spirit that you feel near to God? That's because you are operating in line with Christ. You're coming into union with Christ. You're needing the empowerment that God gives. So that's another thing that I would say that I I think your story puts in perspective is we've got to place ourselves in the environments where we are relying on God to experience God's spirit working through us. And then I think that's going to be affirmed by other individuals. Anything else? Anyone else wants to share a question? Yeah, Justin. One of the trailer questions you had asked as you're advertising was, do your gifts change over time? And do you have more than one like primary one and secondary one? Or do you have two primaries or secondary? Um, I don't know if you can speak to that later, because from my experience is that in the, when I was 20, I think the gifts I had were still teaching, but it manifested differently than when I was 30. And then my gifts of teaching kind of evolved a different way. And then now I'm in my 40s how I consider teaching is evolved to different perspectives so that if I were to compare my notes from 20 to nine now, it's like they're not quite the same, but there's enough overlap, but there's not enough, um, I guess maybe there's maturity of thought that has evolved over time that I wouldn't have thought about when I was 20. So if you can speak to that, how do you have more gifts or how did they evolve over time? That's a great question, Justin, and I have a similar experience because I stepped into my role at age 23, and I've had the amazing experience of people who came to our first services, took a long break, and then came back and then said to me, wow, you've really matured a lot. (laughs) So obviously what they're saying is I was less than impressive initially, and yet something has grown in me. So there's obviously an overlap of personal maturity you know, that spirit filling in Christ and conforming more to Christ and just seeing increasingly the growth of the gifts that God has given as your role changes in the body of Christ. So yes, 100%, I think it evolves over time and it involves a lot of different factors. But there was that seed initially that at least enough people saw that, well, this kid's pretty green. He's pretty untested. There's some rough edges here. His illustrations are very embarrassing about college. This kid doesn't know anything about life. But there's a seed here of maybe this guy has the gift of preaching or teaching or prophecy. So obviously that was there, but it it grew. And, And then I'd say, yes, at different times, based on the needs of the body, God is going to gift us with different things. Don't think God has ever done with you. Don't think that, you know, you, you close the book. Okay, that was the one time when I gave my life to Jesus. That's the one download I got. You know, I would say when COVID hit, God really gave me a gift of faith to just naturally trust, to instinctively trust no matter what was going on. 
That was something I required in my role, and I believe that was something that was required for the body of Christ. And I don't fault anyone for going through a process, not quite being there. They've got other things that they were bringing to the table in that time. But that wasn't as something that was as natural to me in the past, because I'm more of a critical thinker. I'm more play out every scenario and be prepared for it. And I just wasn't that at all. And I believe that wasn't me. I think that was a gift of God's spirit. So again, yeah, never, never think God is done with you. God can always gift you with something new, even as he grows you. Anything else? Yeah. I'll always hand the mic off to you. Yeah, you know, I just, I mean, just suggestion. You know, as you get a little seasoned, a little older in life, you realize, you know, some of those gifts you had mentioned, you know, in your 20s, maybe it changed 30s. Yeah, that does. And I think that's part of that process. Because all of a sudden, you may not have a gift of hospitality, but then you're the only one that has a house in a community group. And they say, hey, can you do it at your house? And you're going, well, I, I don't, I've never done this. But all of a sudden, you get the gift. It's pretty interesting how the Holy Spirit just goes, it's time. But, but I'm not ready for this. You are ready for this. And that's why he tells us. So I think we, including myself, have to continually to look at that list and pray. And there's, there's, there's tests. There's things you can go through it and, and really ask the Lord, show me my gifts. Be in a group of men or women's or community group or D group or something to where we've already heard people say that they're speaking into those gifts, but begin to seek the Lord. Say, what are my gifts? You know, I, there's so many of those went through the list. You're going, man, I'm so far from that. But if you ever ask the Lord to gift you in that, maybe he's just waiting. And so I just think so often it's, we think, well, I've got, I've got two or three, or I've got one top, but maybe there's 10. And maybe you just have not asked the Lord. And then it's the, the thing of faith which is a tough one, that's one of those, is, and I'm telling this people all the time, this is the point you have to step off the cliff and allow the Lord to catch you. That's the hardest thing to do in marriage, whatever, you mentioned it in Sunday, <clears throat> talking to a marriage a guy that's getting ready to get married, man, it's stepping off the cliff now to realize I'm going for this. The Holy Spirit is waiting to equip us. It's just stepping into it. So I just encourage that. Amen. And I'm not sure you've ever used that in your wedding ceremony as you're officiating. You guys are stepping off a cliff right now. You have no idea what comes next. It's somewhat valid for those of us who are married. Um, amen. Amen. Yeah. Don't doubt what God can do through you, but ask when an opportunity presents itself. Is this, is this the time? Okay. Anything else? Anything else? Okay, everybody feels it's about... No! Dory, it's not time. Dory has something to say. Just a, a last comment is that... Um, is about the gifts that we get, especially as we get older in life, and unfortunately for some that are younger, with the tragedies that occur in our lives. And um, so I'll use my husband's path. He died of pancreatic cancer. But uh, I don't know whether I'm justifying that being a gift with all the beautiful things that have happened because of it that never would have happened unless he had died, if that's a justification or if, you know, that's God's gift. So 
those are harder things to um, evaluate as you go through the tragedies of life and, and they're going to happen. And what are those gifts? <laughs> uh, Dory, I love that, you know, and it, it's hard to see on a list just where that fits. But I would say that, you know, some people going through traumatic and tragic things do have a gift of experiencing it with the spirit in a different way that can help others that have not experienced that same healing. And so I do believe there's a gift in that. And I think there are gifts that extend beyond the list. Like I said, Kung, our graphic designer, he's a graphic designer. Now in the New Testament times, there was no way to cite graphic design as one of the spiritual gifts because there was no graphic design. And yet he is such a talented, amazing individual who is using his abilities and talents for the supernatural purpose of building up God's kingdom and building up his fellow believers. So don't just be confined to that list either. God is giving you talents and abilities, and he wants to utilize those in this community. So if you don't have a place, if you don't know where that can be expressed, please follow up with me. As a pastor, it was said in Ephesians chapter 4, my role and the role of other leaders in this community is to release you for works of service so that you understand the spirit working through you. If it's like this funnel that everything has to go through five people who are spiritually gifted in the church, how much are we going to accomplish? But if it becomes 500 that are all released, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that's when things are really cooking, all right? That's when we're really going to be fulfilling our mission as a church community. So with that, I just want to pray a blessing over you guys. Could you open up your hands just like when we finish out our gatherings together. And I know it's late, but I want to give a few moments here of just quiet and reflection. Jesus, you told us one of the primary ways that you would relate to us is through your spirit guiding us into truth, reminding us of what you said, what is true, and guiding us personally and dynamically into the future that you have for us. So Lord, I ask right now, out of what's been spoken tonight, even in the craziness of what comes tomorrow, a few moments here, Lord, would you speak? Would you guide us into what this means for us personally? Lord, even as we've looked at your word, uh, as we looked at the words of the Spirit in the scriptures, I pray that it wouldn't cause us to feel settled like everything is just clear and figured out and simple, but Lord, we would still just be in a place of awe and exploration and discovery as a result of what we've seen in your word, that we wouldn't feel like everything is just settled and it just... It's clean and we can control what you're doing, Lord. And that's not what this is about. It's about clear understanding of just how all-encompassing 
and all-powerful your spirit is and how embedded your spirit is in everything that happens, from every thought that we think that aligns with you, Jesus, to every work of service and gift that's given from one brother and sister to another. The very relationships that we have with each other are based on the presence, your presence, among us. And Lord, this great mission that we have, we're a small group of people, just a few hundred here in the Branches community, in a city of 220,000, maybe 200,000 who don't know you. Lord, we require the empowerment that comes from you, that goes beyond what we can do in our own strength. So Lord, would you inspire my brothers and sisters? Would they go to bed tonight, first of all, knowing that promise that I preached on this weekend, that you are with us always to the very end of the age, that no one goes home alone, that we have you as our comforter. But more than that, Lord, would we be dreaming of what we can do, what we can offer by your power to one another of our indispensable place in this body? And Lord, would we be filled with dreams of how you're going to use us to impact those who do not yet know you? Thank you, God for your word. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for my brothers and sisters here who are so earnestly seeking you. Would you bless them all and bless this body as we all rise up in the fullness of who you are, Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right.